This is that time that we don't really do this on Wednesday night, but you can. You can give electronically because we're not going to come around and bring a basket. But thank you for your faithfulness and giving to the Lord. How many get a lot of email at the end of the year from ministries telling you, hey, this is a great time to, you know, I always look at, to me, it's any Sunday is a great time or time. But man, it's like my inbox is like, just filled with, hey, that if you forgot, you know, this, this is like the last day that you can give, you know. So I don't want to miss my opportunity to tell you that then too. So it's your last day tomorrow to give in 2020. So if that was like the most exciting thing that you're doing, like, yes, I, I just want to make sure I did that. I just want to help you fulfill your yearly goal, I guess, that the, you could say on the 31st of December that you gave. But we're blessed that you do, and thank you for your faithfulness and giving to the Lord. You know, like I said tonight, you know, it's a it's a bittersweet time. You know, we were ending a year 2020. It was kind of one of those numbers that you were hoping, man, big thing like 2000. You know, 2020, and then all of a sudden, it just you know it tanked in so many different ways. But uh, there was so much good that that came out of this year. There was always. And it's just like God, you know, there's always a silver lining uh, for many people. Um, their personal relationship with the Lord got stronger because you just had more time to, to spend in his word and spend in prayer. And, and uh, it, it really didn't, in, in many ways, uh, damper our fellowship. It, it made us be creative. In some ways, I felt like, you know, what I read about uh, the Chinese in the, in the catacombs, you know, that uh, secretly meeting, you know, trying to stay under the radar of the government, you know, that would come take you away in a little white van or something. Um, it wasn't that bad here in the United States, but uh, people felt that way. And, and you know, and as uh, COVID hit and, you know, that first 30 days, you know, that it was, you know, nationwide stay in place, shelter in place, you know, mandate. Um, you know, as a church, we joined in that and we, we did gladly in, in one respect because, you know, we saw this as an opportunity. If, if the science, you know, and that's what everybody kept saying, follow the science. We go, okay, as that, you know, we will flatten the curve. You remember that phrase, flatten the curve. And uh, that, that would occur. And then, you know, we'd go back to living life, you know, in somewhat new normal, but uh, without a vaccine. But it just never happened. You know, it was just like things became more confusing. Uh, and yet, you know, as a Christian, I know the, the Bible makes perfectly clear that God is not the author of confusion. So when you start getting confused, you know that that's not God, you know. And so, you know, uh, I remember, you know, teaching our kids, uh, this was something that came out when my children were young. If you remember that when there was a fire, if something was to catch on fire and your clothes caught on fire, there were three words. Do you remember that they used to teach you? It was stop, drop, and roll, Right. And churches started picking up on that because there's something about that. You know, when you're going through trials, it's, it's a good thing to learn to stop and to drop and to what? To roll everything over onto the back of Jesus, you know, casting all of your cares upon him because he cares about you. And so this last year, you know, we learned a lot about how to cast our cares upon him. Um, I probably did more um, sermons and messages and devotionals with regard to fear and living in fear and what it what it does and you're you're not you know still you're not hearing it on the news at all there's the report that aren't there to tell you how devastating covid has been to the world not just to the united states and and the mental illness that has arisen out of this because of the fear that people are living under and it's a fear that it wasn't something that you know they brought upon themselves, like people just had an unhealthy fear, you know, of a, of a virus. It was the fact that it was, in a sense, being crammed down your throat on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, if you just, you were at home and you really didn't have any options, you know, if you're watching television and you know how you have the, the you know, the emergency weather, you know, broadcast comes on and it tells you, well, you remember, it was kind of like a ticker, you know, on, on every channel and it was in red. And it was just showing you the number of deaths, you know, that were taking place. And, you know, we, we, we're, we're just learning, you know, about, we, 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 you know, we've learned a lot through the years because of our military personnel. We call it post-traumatic stress syndrome, PTSD. But everybody suffers, in a sense, from 
PTSD. There's always going to be trauma in life. And, and we're learning a lot more about that. that. And people are, you know, and COVID was one of those things that got people to kind of open up the stress that it brought in their life. And, and really it was, it became, and, and admittedly, you know, people were saying that they had an unhealthy fear of death. And, and it was so, I was talking to my sister-in-law today, um, you know, and she was talking about conversations that she's had with people. She's a, a hairdresser. And she said, you know, just dealing with the unhealthy, you know, fear that people have. And she was just trying to encourage, you know, her clients and stuff. She goes, you know, it's just as Jesus said, worrying is not going to add a single minute to your life, but it might in one sense rob you, you know, of a few, if you think, you know, from the science perspective on what stress does to someone's life. But she said something that, that was just so simple-minded, so, but yet so profound. She said, she would tell people, you're not going to die a minute earlier than the moment that you were ordained of God to die. I mean, it's, it's, when it's your time, it's your time, whether that's COVID or not COVID or anything else. And so we can't live in fear. And again, and she said, you know, she would try to go out of her way to encourage people. That, that didn't mean don't be responsible and don't just think that, you know, you can just go out and, you know, breathe on everybody and, and you know, God's not going to, you know, he's just going to keep you from getting COVID. You go, that's not the case. You know, we, we want to be intelligent about it. But at the same time, we have to learn to balance, you know, life and realize that there's risk. <laughs> You know, there's risk getting in a car. I mean, you think about it, when you're driving a car and I mean, you go down the street, right? And you're going, you know, 55 miles an hour on a, on a two lane highway. What, what is separating you from the car going in the other direction? It's a little yellow line, right? You know, Anthony, he's, I, I would imagine Anthony's probably measured one of those. Do you happen to know what the distance of one of those lines are? Four inches. I, I just, for some reason, I thought that he would might know that, you know, it's like, so 12 inches is all is the difference between two cars hitting each other head on. So you have to have a lot of faith. If you really set, no one wants to really think about it. You're probably thanking me now. You're going, thanks a lot, Pastor Mike. And now I'm going to be driving down the road going 12 inches. It's 12. Honey, get over, get over further to get off the line, you know, but you know, we just have so, I mean, how many know how their brakes work, by the way? Yeah, there's a few of you in here. How many don't know how their brakes work? I mean, you just pray to God they do, right? And if they make noise, what do you do? You turn the volume up, right? If the car starts making noise and somebody's with you, hey, did you hear that? And you, nope, didn't hear a thing, you know? It just didn't hear a thing. And that's kind of how we deal, you know, with, with fear oftentimes. And so, you know, we've tried to walk through, you know, what it is to live by faith. And so, you know, I thought about, you know, at Christmas time and, uh, you know, here I was going to say Easter because John, I know these, all these got the, who is it? Uh, who said that to me? Um, let me see. Oh yeah. Robert, Robert, uh, coming in, he said, Hey, happy Easter. And I was like, great. I've missed another holiday. Yeah. But, uh, now you think about, this time of year and, and whether it's Christmas or New Year's, um, they're, they're just great times to, you know, really reflect like in Christmas time is to really think deep about the incarnation, you know, is to think that, that God, that God came down, you know, and I asked my grandkids, you know, on Christmas day, I said, give me, you know, as I shared with you, give me, give me the message of Christmas, the meaning of Christmas in three words. And they were, well, God is, God was born. Yeah. God was born. You know, they say, you know, yes, Jesus was born, but you go, well, who is Jesus? And they go, God, God, God became flesh. And, and be reminded of that. And, and to think of when that really settles into your heart. I mean, can you imagine what it was really like? I mean, have you ever really sat and thought about the disciples and what it must have been like for them when they came to the full realization that Jesus was God? We just take that for granted, don't we? We read the Bible story, we say, oh, you know, they... But I mean, for them to be sitting there looking at the incarnation, and then it, all of a sudden, you know, by revelation, because it's just like Jesus said when he said, well, who do you say that I am? And he said, you're the Christ. You know, we, we go, oh, that was, you know, neat. You go, no, it's exactly what Jesus said. He goes, flesh and blood. He said, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my father who's in heaven. We're here tonight because God opened our eyes to the incarnation.
Because you can go tell that to people tonight and they're going to go, what did you smoke? What, you know, how did you come up? That is ridiculous to think. I mean, even people who would call themselves, you know, people of faith, that they're going, you really believe that Jesus is God? I go, yes, absolutely. That's exactly what the Bible declares him to be. It's what he proved to be. And it's like people just cannot wrap their mind around it. And like I said, you shouldn't get frustrated or you shouldn't get angry at people. You realize we know that because God opened our eyes to that truth. Were we seeking for the most part? Absolutely. You know, some would say, you know, I wasn't seeking Jesus. Jesus was seeking me. Amen. And you go, and then you think about the new year. You know, we have this thing, you know, resolutions, you know, and usually I'll talk about resolutions in a service and ask the church, how many have resolutions and people, none, no resolutions at all? No. Why? Day two, I'll just break it, you know, and it's like, what's the point, you know, and you go, well, Lamentations 3, you know, his mercies are what? They're new every morning. You don't have to wait for January 1st to make a resolution. You can make resolutions every day and then and rely on the strength of God. That, that's what God wants us to do is, you know, we make resolutions. We determine things, you know, that we're going to do this and have goals and, and, and set out to accomplish those things and then develop loving accountability with people that, you know, you can say, hey, this is what I'm setting out to do. Help me. And, and you go, because no man's an island. I mean, we are the body of Christ, amen? Jesus is the head, but we're all part of one another. We can't do what God is calling us to do. We were talking last night in our staff meeting. Uh, we have two staff meetings uh, throughout the month. We have our regular staff meeting. We just go through what's going on the course of the week. And then we'll have a, a Together We Can uh, staff meeting. And we walk through you know, what we're going to do during the month with regard to our food outreach. and you know, we're going through this thing and we're realizing, you know, there's a big vision. I mean, you know, between Kimberly and, and Anthony and their, their love for serving and want, want to reach people, they're, they're throwing these ideas out there that we're, we're walking through last night. We're going, man, we just don't have a church big enough to right now to, to meet that need. But I love the fact that people have a vision that, you know, we can't accomplish on our own because if we can do it on our own, then we don't need God. If we just went around and go, oh, we can't, well, we can't do that. And you go, wait a second. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that we can do what? All things through Christ who strengthens us. Maybe the issue is more of a timing issue than anything else. And so it, all this, you know, goes into play for tonight because as I was praying about, you know, a couple of weeks ago, you know, what are the things that, you know, one, and, and I, I was just excited to be able to share it last week was to talk about, you know, the incarnation and to remind you that this isn't just a, you know, a once a year Christmas story that this is God came down, God with us, you know, Emmanuel, that he's with us and he's the same God today that he was 2000 years ago when he was born into this world. And so he's here with us. He's in this place. He dwells within you and, and you're not alone and you don't have to live in fear. And yes, though you will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear evil because God is with you. We live in an evil world. There's evil all around us. There's death all around us. We see it, you know, in the ticker every single day. We're reminded how many people are dying of just of COVID, not to mention all the other things. You know, when you think about, you know, death and how it works, you know, in the world that yes, it's appointed to all men to die. We just don't like to, you know, have to face it every single day, but COVID forced us into that, in that arena. Well, that should have been not the worst moment in time for the church. That should have been one of our shining moments. It's like in Apollo 13, right? That, I mean, it looks like it's a disaster. If you watch the movie, you know, one of the great lines was, you know, sir, I disagree. I think this will be our finest hour because we got to see what America was really made of. But what we're looking at today is we're not really proud of what America's made of because what we've watched during COVID and all these expressions, you know, of, of individuality and and destroying our history and all these things. You go, you, you can't be an American and be proud of that. And it's so sad because we've lost our way. And so as I, I looked at this year and, I, and just praying, the Lord just took me right. I mean, it's just like, these are those moments that you just love when God is so clear on something. And it was to Joshua chapter four, when the children of Israel were crossing over from you know, the wilderness journey into the promised land. And, and to think about, you know, that the backstory to that. And so I wanted to walk through with you tonight through Joshua chapter four, if you have a, a Bible handy. And, I, and it just kind of is the backstory as we get into this. I want you to think about 
you know, God chose Abraham, right? And he told Abraham, he said, he took him out and he showed him the stars of the heaven. And he told him that, he, that his children were going to be more than those stars that he saw, and more than the sand that was on the, the shores of the beach, that his children would be that. And, and he hadn't even had a son yet, right? He hadn't even had a child. He's 90 years old, you know, you think about. And, and God's made this promise to him. And God's faithful to his promise. He has a son. Ultimately, as the children of Israel, you know, as a small family, goes into, into bondage, into Egypt, they come out of Egypt. You know what? You go a little over a million people. I mean, they go in as a family and they come out as a nation. And yet you think about that, you go, Egypt was hard. It was a bondage. And yet God was using that time to do what? Was to protect them so that they weren't integrated into the rest of the world and losing their identity. And so in their, their affliction, God was keeping them together. And they were doing what? They were growing numerically. Um, I, for one, you know, like I said, I, I didn't like personally sheltering in place when it was mandated in a sense, but I sure appreciate it as a grandfather because on Christmas Day, my uh, oldest son and his wife, Jackie, came and they gave my wife a tree ornament and it said, you know, baby dude, July, 2021. And I was like praising God for sheltering in place. I mean, that probably wouldn't have, you know, it was just one of those things. They go, well, you know, uh, someone had said, you know, that they, they were playing board games. And I said, no, it wasn't B-O-A-R-D. They were B-O-R-E-D games. Yes, they were bored, you know, and, but we got a grandchild out of it. So, you know, these things that happen, you know, by sheltering in place, you know, and, and it was so funny because you, you, you knew this going in because you remember, and I think I'd shared it because it was one of the things that, you know, even our government said, they go, oh, you can expect probably a lot of babies are going to be born, you know, this year due to the fact that people are sheltering in place. And sure enough, there's a lot of babies that are being born. And so you go, is God good all the time? And you go, Absolutely do you have to look for it sometimes? You go, yes, you got to look for the silver line. It's like looking for a rainbow, right? There's, there's storm clouds and there's storms. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, there'll be this ray of light that breaks through and, and people are, ah, oh, there it is. You know, God's faithfulness. And that's what he was, when he established that first bow was to remind us of his faithfulness to his promise, right? And we serve a God who's faithful. And so he, he brings the children of Israel, remember, out of the, the bondage of, of Egypt under the leadership of Moses, and they go out into the wilderness, and God had promised them a land. He told them there was a land that was flowing with milk and honey, right? And so they come out of, the, out of, out of into the wilderness, and they come to the, the edge of, of Canaan, and you remember the story. If you go back, and, and if you're a note taker, you can just write this down and go read it for yourself and enjoy it. Just really let the Lord ministered this to you as you go into another year. In Numbers chapters 13 and 14, it kind of tells the story of what takes place there with regard to, remember, Moses chose, he said, told the children of Israel, take one member from each of your tribes, each of your 12 tribes, right? And they were going to send them into the promised land to do what? To spy out the land, right? And they were going to be there. They were there 40 days, okay? They were going to spy out the land. And they were going to come back with a report. Now, remember, God had already told them that there was a land that was promised to them, right? And God had already brought them out of the bondage of, of the Egyptians. God had already promised Abraham that he would have a son, and then his son, you know, would have a son. And then ultimately, you know, Israel would be born. Jacob would have 12 sons. And, and it would become ultimately a nation of people. And they would have a land that God would lead them to. It's the land that we know today as Israel, that God promised to them. It's like, so it's not, it's not an option to go, like you hear people today going, hey, we should trade land for peace in Israel. And you go, you can't. You can't trade what's not yours. It belongs to God. And, and he's given it and covenant as a promise to the children of Israel. And there was, that wasn't a conditional promise. That God has promised that to the nation of Israel. Now, what is conditional is their occupancy of it, but, but not who it belongs to. You know, that, that's the thing that gets debated all the time. But we see God's hand in this. And so God has told them, so he commands them to go in. And so they go in, the 12 spies come back out. And you remember the report? There's 10 spies that are going what? 
they didn't look at how big the fruit was, right? They didn't say, man, they got big mangoes there. They were going, they got big what? Giants. They were living in fear. They were walking by fear, not by faith. There was only two. First, it was Caleb, right? So Caleb, you know, he's all mad. He's like, are you guys kidding me? He's going, it doesn't make any difference if there's giants in the land. We know God has told us to go in and occupy the land. God will be with us. That was faith, right? And then Joshua comes along and echoes the same thing. Well, when the nation of Israel, so they basically, they rebuke, you know, Joshua and Caleb. And due to their unbelief, what did they end up doing? They ended up wandering in the wilderness for how long? 40 years. You know how far they had to go? If you wanted a distance, the distance they had to travel was about from where I'm standing to the city of Shafter. Okay. That's about how far they had to go. It took them 40 years. I'm telling you, I think you and I could make it from here to Shafter within 40 years, even walking. Would you agree? Yeah, they say it should have taken them even as, as an entire nation, you know, of over a million people, no more than, you know, 10, 11, 12 days at the most, you know, just going a little bit, camping, going a little bit, but 40 years. And you go, why? Well, because God told them because of their what? Unbelief. That an entire generation, the older generations, and I want you to think about these things in light of our country, because a lot of this came to me as I was just praying for our country, praying for, you know, our nation, our leaders, and because we've lost so much. When you think about what was happening with statues being torn down and, you know, all the things that were being claimed and, you know, and you're looking at this and you're going, because you take down your history doesn't remove your history. But we have people that believe you know, in revision, you know, they're revisionists. What they try to do is go back and rewrite history. You can't. You know, one thing we have to love about the Bible is God, <laughs> he shows us warts and all. I mean, there's a picture. He doesn't hide anything. And you go, why? You go, because where sin abounds, grace did all the more. God, God didn't try to sweep it under a rug. He dealt with it. And so here, his own children that he's chosen, right? He, he's, he's dealing with them. And he said to the older generation, you will not enter into the promised land. You will all die in the wilderness. That's why they had to journey for 40 years. It was until the last person in that first generation died, except for two, Joshua and Caleb. And when everybody else had died, then God's going, okay, now it's time to cross over. We're going to cross over with the younger generation who will do what? who will take it by faith. And so where Moses, remember in the wilderness where he had sinned against God, he got frustrated with the children of Israel and he struck the rock, not once, but twice. You go have to go back and read that you know, whole storyline for yourself. And so God told him, he said, Moses, you won't lead the children of Israel over. You misrepresented me. I'm not mad at them. I love them. I love them. They're my children. And so he took Moses up on Mount Nebo and he showed him the promised land. And it's interesting, though, because here's why the rock to me is so important tonight, even before we get into the story of it, is because he didn't take, you think about this, why didn't God just then say, Moses, you just stay down there. Joshua, you're my man. And take Joshua up and show him the promised land. And then Joshua lead the children of Israel over into the promised land. He didn't do that. It says he took Moses up on Mount Nebo and he showed Moses the promised land. And he said, you instruct Joshua. See, there's a responsibility that this country is failing miserably. And it's, it's called the family. The American family is under tremendous attack. I mean, we're having all these issues with, you know, identity and gender identity and everything else. And you go, it's an attack against God. It's an attack against humanity. Because you know, if God created us, if there is a God, this is what's so amazing to me about people who call themselves Christians and then buy into all this. You go, that's an abomination before God. And you need to understand that, okay? Is that God created them, it says male and female, in the image of who? God, they were created. So when you start undermining that, you are, you're making an attack against God himself, okay? And we need to understand that. And that's, you're going to incur the wrath of God when you do that, okay? And that's what was happening. And if you need a proof text for it, just go to the New Testament, read the book of Romans, read Romans chapter 1. Makes it perfectly clear. 
when we're no longer thankful, and that's what's happening as a country, we are the country now of entitlement. You know, and it's been said because of this. And this is the whole thing about generations. You can do study after study. You can read Barna Research Institute. You can go to pretty much any major university in this country, and you can find a study on this. It'll be the, the American family, the nucleus of the family. And when that is destroyed, okay, what do you have? You have a destruction of society. I, I share this all the time. I was sharing it with my oldest sister um, just the other day. The Roman Empire, the, the greatest civilization supposedly known to man, they weren't defeated by an outward enemy. They crumbled from within. They, they, they ruined themselves due to what? Sexual immorality. I mean, you think of this, I mean, just pure corruption. The homosexuality, you know, bestiality. I mean, how, you, the degradation of society. And you go, but what happened is when the family structure, when you took the men, they placed them, you know, out to war, the men were killed, and you had homes without fathers. Well, it's been said this, and we know this because all you have to do biblically, this is again, God doesn't try to hide this. He wants us to learn from it. What do we learn when you study the book of the Kings, first and second Kings? You learn that there was in Israel, there'd be a good king, and then there was usually what? A bad king. And then there'd be a bad king and a bad king. And then all of a sudden there'd be a good king. And then there'd be a what? A bad king. You ever seen the, the you know, and you look at, there wasn't that many good kings in Israel, okay? Now, does God try to sugarcoat that? You go, no, he doesn't try to. And you go, why? Because we're saved by God's grace and not by our own works or our own self-righteousness. But what you have to understand here in these studies that are done now on a university level with, you know, again, like I said, a, a, a research company like, say, Barna Research or Gallup Polls, is that what you have, and you'll look at society, wherever you have, and this is not the case in every family, okay, but hear me in this, where you have extremely faithful parents, is you'll have children who become less faithful. And then you'll have grandchildren who become even less faithful. And so I want you to think about your own family structure and you look at it, you don't normally see, because we see, we use this word, you know, degradation. We see, and we know this biblically speaking, prophetically, right? Is the world becoming a better place or is it becoming worse? Yeah. No, there's pockets every once in a while, something. I mean, I like, there's a, you know, I like Instagram and it'll have like good news, something. And all they do is put good news on there. And it's really nice to see it. You know, you get a good cry almost every day. You know, somebody loving someone and caring. So yeah, there's, but that's not, <laughs> that's not the majority. And so in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter six, you can write that down and go study it. God, he didn't say, send your kids to school. I, I'd be so worried today. I am so glad that, I mean, I feel for my children. I pray for them every day and my grandkids. I mean, I would, I would pray to God that my kids could send, you know, their children to private school, private Christian education, which is far from perfect, okay? But I tell you what, I would rather have a lesser quality of education that was God-centered and God-based than to put them out in the world and just feed them to, you know, because you look at this, I mean, here we are as adults, you know, you know, you can own a business in this country and you're being told that you can't even operate your own business. You can't make money, but you have to stay at home but you still have to be responsible to pay your bills. When the very people who are telling you this get paid by you and by me, and they got a paycheck that was solid all through COVID, and they sit in an ivory tower and go, well, this is how, you know, you, you, know, you can't play hockey. I just saw that one today. You can't play hockey, but the lawmakers playing hockey. You can't get your hair cut, but, you know, uh, you know, the mayor in Chicago, you know, she's going, but I'm a public person and, you know, and I care about my hygiene as to, to say that nobody else in America cares about theirs, you know, but it's, but it's, it's the, it, it's the privilege, you know, uh, and it has nothing to do with color. Okay. And people have just got to get past that, you go, and it's sin. And so here in Deuteronomy, it says parents, he didn't say send your kids to school so they can teach them about Jesus. No, it says fathers, teach your children, instruct your children. You know, I was thinking about this, you know, today, it's like, I, I've tried to bribe my, my grandkids. I offer them, you know, money to read the book of Proverbs and they haven't even taken me up on it, you know, 
It's like, I go, you, I'll, Opa will pay you every month. You, you, you read the book of Proverbs. I'll give, you a, I'll give you $60 a year if you'll just read the book of Proverbs. I mean, what other books are you going to get paid to read? You know? But, and I'm going, man, but I got to do something. So I'm trying to think of things. What do I do in 2021? I've got to come up with creative ways to get, I can't worry about my kids. I mean, they're grown, you know, you do the best you can, but I can, I can influence my grandchildren because I get to babysit them. I get to take care of them, that they would grow up to love God because they're, they're growing up in a society that is not loving God. God isn't a priority in their life. And so I look at this and I go, and I, I see this in my own family. So I'm not pointing fingers at anybody else. I'm going, I see I'm not seeing it go this way that I would, I would pray to God that my children would love Jesus more than me. That, that's my desire as a dad, that my kids would love Jesus way more than me and they would serve him way more faithfully than I ever have or would. And that my grandchildren would love him even more. That, that's, my, that's my prayer. That's my hope. That's my desire. So it breaks my heart when I don't see that. And I look at the things that are going on in the world today. And I'm going, what kind of my world are my grandkids going to have? And I go, well, if, if something doesn't happen with their parents and not just, you know, I'm talking about my kids, but parents of, of you know, this generation, there isn't going to be a United States of America. I can tell you that. There is no question in my mind. We will just become exactly what would have happened to the children of Israel if God didn't have his hand placed upon them. They would have lost their identity because that's what happened to every other civilization. There's only one civilization on this planet that has not lost its identity when it was dispersed. Do you think about that? The nation of Israel was dispersed to the ends of the earth and they maintained their identity. Who did that? You go, God. Well, why? Because they held to their faith. God had given them the 10 commandments. I mean, they have found menorahs. You know, you think about the practice of Hanukkah. They have found menorahs on every single continent uh, on this planet, which is amazing. And they find them made out of all different kinds of materials, whatever they had it, you know, at hand. Man, that's what they did to do what? To remember the Lord, to remember the Lord. And so as we go into you know, 2021, I just want to encourage you, remember the Lord and do everything you can to help your children, your grandchildren, your friends, yourself, whatever it's going to take for you to remember the Lord. That, that's what this is all about. And so when you look at this, you know, I don't know about you, how many people by a show of hands, you forget things? How many have a how many have a program on your your phone that, that actually has a calendar and reminders and it tells you? And and do you still miss stuff? Now I had a hair appointment today. It was supposed to be at 845. The my niece, she's called, she's going, uh, hey Mike, uh, are you coming? And I go, yeah, I'm on my way. Because in my phone I have 845 to 945. So my phone, I see 945. And I was thinking my appointment was at nine. So I thought, well, I I was just gonna get there early. And she's like, well, your appointment's at 8.45. I'm like, and so I stop, you know, and then I look at my phone and guess what? It's at 8.45. So I'm in the park and I am nine o'clock. I'm thinking, oh, I'm, I'm early. It's like, no, you're late. And I have it right there in my phone. I got a reminder. You ever missed your wife's birthday? Husband's birthday, anniversary. Most men, no, no. I miss a lot of things. I might miss the rapture, but I will not miss my wife's birthday or anniversary. You know, that's like, Whew, no, no, yeah. But you go, yeah, we forget all kinds of things. But we need to remember certain things. You know, we talk about, you know, forgetting the things which are behind. You go, and there's a truth in that. But we need to remember certain things too. You know, again, when you build a house, you build it on a foundation. There's things that God did in, in 2020 that were so unique to any other time in all of our lives because we'd never gone through this before. And you need to remember those things. You need to remember, as Kat was leading us in worship, you need to remember the goodness of God in your life. Why? Because you're going to go through seasons of time when you're going to wonder if he's good. And you got to remember that, yeah, well, as I share with you, was he faithful a year ago in your life? Absolutely. Was he faithful six months ago? Yes. Is he faithful today? And you go, then can we project forward? And you go, yes, based on the word of God. What? That he's faithful. He's always faithful. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But will you forget that? Absolutely. Just like you'll forget an appointment, you'll forget that. And so you can remind yourself, but guess what? We're here to remind one another. And so guess what? The attack against the body of Christ today, because I'll tell you what, it doesn't work you know, being at home and when, you know, being here and all this. It's just the frog in the kettle. I know that people get mad you know, when I say things like this. I go, but 
you know, I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, but I'll tell you this, I am so convinced about what I'm telling you. I mean, I have thought about it. I haven't said much about it in this regard to this degree, but man, it, it is under the surface of everything that I think about and do during the course of a day. And to think, you know, that we are, I mean, you can just see it. Like I said, the frog in the kettle, the story is real simple. You, you put a frog in a kettle, you turn up the, the heat one degree at a time so that you acclimate that frog to the kettle. Eventually you can bring that frog to a complete boil and boil that thing to death and it'll never jump out of the pan. And you go, why? And you go, because it got comfortable in the pan. And guess what? I'll tell you, that is what's happening in America today. We are being, the heat is being turned up one notch at a time. You sense it in your spirit. We can't put our finger on it. It's like grabbing water, but you know, there's something within your being. You know that you know that you know that you go, man, this is not right. And you go, and what do we do? Well, scripture doesn't tell us to panic or anything else. It says, but look up for your redemption draweth nigh. It was like I was writing yesterday. Don't look forward. That forward has to do with time and you cannot control time. What you can control is your destiny. God has never called us in the true sense to look forward. He's always called us to look up, to focus on him, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, right? And so here, again, the consistency of this story, so, so amazing. So you have, you know, when you think about it, in the wilderness coming up to, you know, the promised land, if there's 1.2 million people dying, that's an average of 85 people a day. This was just a long funeral march for the children of Israel. So you would think that, man, they would be so hungry for, you know, God, just, you know, we'll do whatever we need, you know, we need to do at this point. But when fear grips your heart, man, fear and faith, they do not flow together here. And so you see this, and, and we'll just pick it up in verse one, and we'll just read through it. I think part of it is just, it's so self-explanatory. It says, and it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan. So obviously, you know, uh, you go back and read chapter three, you'll see it that the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went out and they had to get their ankles wet. Sometimes you got to step in it. You know, that's a step of faith. It's not like God says, okay, like Moses, Moses stuck out his staff, right? He didn't, he didn't do anything. And then next thing you know, whoop, the water's part. They crossed over on dry land. Well, here, God changes the methodology a little bit. The priests are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, so God is with them because that's the symbolism of the Ark, right? It was the very presence of God who'd been with them, by the way, in the wilderness journey as what? A pillar of fire by night, a pillar, a pillar of cloud by day, and he fed them continually, right? He gave them manna, and every once in a while they got quail. And what does it say about their sandals, their Birkenstocks? It says their Birkenstocks didn't give out. I mean, somebody needs to find that shoe company. I mean, I don't know if their sales would be great because you think about it, you only sell one pair. I mean, I think, I think people like failure rate, right? Because you get a new pair of shoes. But, I mean, 40 years, their, their shoes didn't give out. That, that's, that's the awesomeness of God, the goodness of God to make things last, to stretch it out. He'll do whatever he can to provide for us. And so... They come to, uh, it says, where the people had completely crossed over. Okay, so they've all crossed over on dry land over the Jordan. It says that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, take for yourselves 12 men from uh, the people, one from every tribe, and command them saying, take for yourselves 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan. So he's, they're taking stones, not along the riverbanks. They're taking them from the deepest part of the river. And you go, why? Because it's part of this memorial. Because think about the, the stones that are in the deepest place of the water they're getting hit with the current all the time, right? Because when the, when the river goes down, which it does, if you ever have the ability to go to Israel, there's a high point after you know, the winter snows, the, 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 you know, the springtime, which is talking about Nisan, the month of Nisan. So we know that's the springtime. And that's after the snow melts, right? So the rivers, the banks are overflowing. So you see the consistency you know, in God's word. And you know, people want to argue about all this. It's, you don't have to have a you know, a degree in, you know, whatever, to just understand the basics of, of, of tenets of scripture. So you, you look at this and he says, take from yourself 12 stones. They would be smooth stones. They wouldn't be jagged, roughed edge because the water would continually have been over them. They would have looked different and they were big. And it says, and out of the midst of the Jordan, place where the priest's feet stood firm, it says, you shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. Now, 
where they go across to, that's eight miles. <laughs> they got to carry these boulders. You know, you see those shows on TV where they have these, the he-men guys, you know, just give them a boulder and tell them, carry this for eight miles. That, that is a, a, I mean, a feat of strength. It says, then Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, cross over before the ark of the Lord, your God into the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes. So it wasn't like they just went and got a rock like this, you know, no, this is a boulder. Then they're carrying this, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask. So here's the key. It's the relationship between fathers and their children sharing you know, their faith continually with their children. It says, and when your children ask in a time to come saying, what do these stones mean to you? I love that. What do they mean to you? What does Jesus mean to you? You know, if there's nothing going on, he doesn't mean anything. But if, if there's something going on, what does Jesus mean to you? It says, then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant uh, of the Lord. It says, when it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So you think about this. I mean, it had to be up at the Dead Sea is where this would have taken place. And I mean, here's God just causing the water, you know, to cease. You, you read some accounts, they go, well, that's because the beavers, uh, they actually blocked the water. You go, oh, just the perfect right moment. I go, that'd be a miracle in and of itself. Like, you know, it's like I do this with my grandkids. I never get it right too, and it just frustrates me. I'll stand in front of the stove, we're cooking something. And I go, Reese, it's going to be done in three seconds. And we're looking at the stove and I'll go, three, two, because I got 60 seconds, right? That's all I get, you know, within 60 seconds, it's going to be, you know, it's going to go to the number. So I'm guessing. So we, I just look at it. So I go, it's got to be close. So I go, three, two, one. And still said 12 o'clock. Dang it. So she looks at me and I go, more faith. Three, two, one. And about the 12th time I did it, it finally, you know, went over. And I was like, I felt like such a failure. You know, it'd be like that for the children of Israel, the priest walking out there and they're going, if there's beavers, like you got to work it out with the beavers way, you know, 20 miles away upstream. Okay, beavers, block the dam. Okay, now we can walk out, you know, and then you walk out and there's no water there. I mean, that's the, there's people that seriously write this kind of stuff. And I'm going, actually, I'd be okay with that. I go, think about it. That's like saying that God, you know, when Moses <laughs> led the children of Israel, you know, across the, the Red Sea, have you ever heard this one? You know, that, that actually was during the flood period. And so the water was less than, than 12 inches deep, right? And I'm going, I'm okay with that. I go, think about it. I go, that would be a bigger miracle if you really want to break that one out. And you go, why? You go, that he actually drowned the entire Egyptian army in less than 12 inches of water. Wow. And what do the people do? They just get mad, right? Because they're just poking holes in these things. If you don't want to believe, you can't make somebody believe, right? If you just choose not to believe. That, and that's the freedom that God has given us to exercise. And so here, the water stopped. And it says, and these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel for how long? Forever. Forever. And the children of Israel did so just as Joshua commanded. They took up 12 stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over to where the place where they lodged and laid them down. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood. It's where they got their ankles wet. It says, and, they, and there they are to this day. So the priest who bore the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished, that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And so what God was doing was he was raising Joshua up the same way that he raised Moses up in the eyes of the people. And, and his, his anointing upon his life, and it says, and the people hurried and they crossed over. It says, then it came to pass, so the water, you know, obviously stayed until every single person, I mean, over a million people crossed over. You think, wow. It says, and then it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people and the men of Reuben, the men of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh crossed over before the children of Israel as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel 
and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, command the priests who bear the ark of testimony to come up from the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass when the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priest's feet touched the dry land that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. Cause that's when the, the beavers pulled the wood back, right? Yeah. So ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, and says now, and the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and they camped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. So they, they went eight miles before they camped. They carried these, these stones. And you think, you know, why, why did God part the waters? First and foremost, it has to be because God wants the children of Israel to trust him. That, that this God, you know, that has called them as faithful that he could be trusted and that he would be with them wherever they went, that nothing was going to stop them. Because sometimes you go, ah, and we find that, you know, in life, people go, hey, this is as far as I'm going to go with you, right? We know that under the law, under Jewish law, that, you know, Jesus said, go the extra mile, right? Because under Jewish law, if someone needed you to carry something by law, you had to go one mile, but you could then tell them, you go, hey, I'm, this is as far as I'm going to go. And we have people that tell us that in our, in our lives, right? People that you've known, you can have friends, people you've served with, people you've worked with. Hey, this is where we, you know, this is where we part ways here. You know, this is where, you know, we hit the fork in the road, you know, here in our relationship. And you go, but not with God. He's going, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And that's why, again, he doesn't call us to put our trust in people. He calls us to love people, but he calls us to put our trust in him. We get it backwards. We, we trust people and we go, oh, I love God. And you go, no, we should love God, but we should trust him and him alone in that regard. And so, you know, again, he wants, you know, us to have confidence in him. And, you know, again, when you look at this, so he tells them, you know, take the rocks, pick them up. And you think, what, what was he trying to accomplish with they're carrying that, the people are looking you know, he's driving this testimony within, you know, can you imagine if you were one of the rock carriers that day? You know, I mean, are you going to remember that carrying a boulder for eight miles? Yeah. Hey, remember the time you carried a boulder for eight miles? And, and by watching, we all become witnesses, right? You think about what are the apostles? Are they witnesses of their own life? Or are they witnesses of Jesus' life? Yeah. So everything that you're testifying of, when you think about this as a church, we're not testifying of ourselves. We're testifying the goodness of God what God has done, the great things that he has done. And so, you know, again, as he does this, these, you know, when you look at this, they actually had, you know, two sets of rocks. There was actually rocks that were in the very bottom of the Jordan River. And you think about that, you go, what would be the point of putting rocks in the Jordan River and then setting memorial stones on the, on the outside, you know, of the river? And you go, well, the outside one was to remind them of the inside, you know, those that were down in the deep there. And, and who was going to see the ones, and this is kind of the amazing thing to me personally, who was going to see the stones that were stacked at the bottom of the Jordan River? Only God could see those, right? And it was, it was as if that, that was what it was all about, it was everything they were doing, they were doing for the glory of God. It wasn't to be seen of men, it was to be seen of God that they were trusting God, you know, and you think about even the rainbow that God established himself. He said, you know, that every time he would see that rainbow, he would be reminded of his promise to never destroy humanity again by what? By a flood. And you, you look at this and you go, those stones of remembrance that he, that he tells them, you know, you look at this in verse 20, it says, and then those 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan, it says Joshua set up at Gilgal, so that's where they carried them, the eight miles. Then he spoke to the children of Israel saying, when your children ask their fathers in the time to come. And I love that because you know what? Kids are going to ask. They're going to ask questions. They always do. And they ask their fathers in the time to come saying, what are these stones? That's your opportunity. There's your chance. Don't blow it. Don't miss it. It says, then you shall let your children know saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. So who are the rocks for? Were they for themselves or were they for the next generation? Yeah. And that's what I think we forget because we always make it about us. You know, oh, you know, it's like, and you go, no, the, the, 
the beauty of it is when we don't make it about us. And I think that's the problem that we have in America today. When you talk about entitlement, people are going, what about me? What about me? You know, I mean, it's kind of sad when you think about, you know, I, I was writing about this yesterday because just thinking of all these things, there, there's, you know, we, everybody wants, you know, life to be fair. Life isn't fair. God isn't fair. What you should want is not God to be fair because fairness has to do with equal distribution. It's kind of like getting a stimulus check. I mean, some people get a stimulus check, you know, like I did a study years ago for our youth. And I said, you know, the, they did a comparative. It was Bill Gates at that time and how much wealth he had in, in, at that time and compared it to somebody who made $60,000 a year. They said, um, you know, if you went in and, and bought a package of gum that was like $2 at the grocery store for $2 based on your $60,000 income, that would be like Bill Gates, his kids going, hey, dad, can we have pizza tonight for dinner? And Bill Gates saying, what franchise would you like me to buy? And then him buying the entire franchise, not a pizza, but that would be the equivalent, like him buying a Pizza Hut franchise. You, you can't even calculate how much that much money. What would $600 do to a guy like Bill Gates? Now, everybody's going to go, well, Pastor Mike, what you have to understand, if you read it, he doesn't get the $600. It's not the point. I'm saying if it was all about fairness, because there's people who are getting the $600 who don't need it. And then people go, well, what they're doing with their $600 is they're investing that. And you go, why is it their responsibility? That's what we have the government for, right? You go, we're just now, we're, are we covering for the government for failing to do their job and provide for the needs of the people that the very people that were going, hey, you stay home and you don't work and you don't provide for yourself. But here, here's $600. What's $600 going to do for a family that's been out of work for a year? And like I said, the people making these decisions are of getting a paycheck every single week. Matter of fact, they made, uh, they actually made, voted for, uh, guess what? A raise. I was sharing this with my sister. I said, did you realize this? Uh, this is, you talk about, I mean, ludicrous. In the stimulus package was four point something million dollars because they wanted to give one point something million dollars to each of our living presidents because they've suffered tremendously during this whole COVID pandemic. Yeah, so, so during this whole, you get $600, but a past president gets a million something. And you go, why? And you go, is that fair? And you go, no. But that's, that's the whole concept of what fairness is. You go, no, what we want is God, you know, that he's a God of, of justice. It'd be like, you know, if you were two years old and you had a 16-year-old brother or sister, and so your mom being fair and she baked cookies, and so she makes just a little tiny one for the two-year-old and gives the same size one to the 16-year-old and says, there, that's what you get to have today. I think the 16-year-old would be looking at that going, mom, that's not even going to get my palate wet, you know? You go, what's, what's fair? And you go, what's just is to do what? Is to consider all the factors though and go, no, you have a, a, a greater caloric need in your life. You have need for more food, for more energy, da, da, da. so you need more. Now they go, is that fair? And you go, yes. In the truest sense, that's fair. Because why? Because there's, <laughs> there's dimension to it. And thank God that he has the perfect perspective of life and what all of us need. And so, you know, I, I look at this and like I said, they're this whole process is about God caring for not just this, you know, generation, but the generation that is to come. And, and we have to admit this. I mean, what are we doing to our children and grandchildren by, you know, adding more trillions of dollars to the deficit? Who's going to pay for it? Well, it's not going to be me. It's not going to be you. It's going to be our kids and our grandkids. And if we keep going, it'll be our great, great grandkids. And that's so sad because we're going, hey, what about me now? And that is not God's heart. That's never been his heart. And so that's why I say it about America. We have departed from the heart of God just simply by the things that we're doing as a country today. That's not how our country and what it was founded upon. And it wasn't what God had intended, but it's what we've made of it because what we've we done, we've walked away from God. And we're seeing with each generation, it's becoming less and less and less focus upon the Lord. And so, like I said, as I look at this, why the stones of remembrance then? Kids are going to ask questions. I love that. It just shows the creativity of God. And God wanted families to have a story to tell. So we end with this. 
verses 23 and 24. It says, For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you, before you crossed over. And as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, so it's not just telling one story, it's telling the whole story, right? It says, which he dried up before us as until we crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth. So it wasn't just about, you know, the children of Israel, is that we'd be others focused, that all the people of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord, your God, forever. So why are the stones there? Because of what God had done, the great things that he did, and he wanted them to never forget it. The rocks were a witness. They were out of place. We're living stones. We're out of place. Peter said, you know, we're sojourners, pilgrims passing through, right? Can you imagine this, you know, all these big old pile of rocks out there? And the kid's going, why are those rocks there? Like, hey, I'm glad you asked. Our job, your job, my job is to get people to ask. We are the salt of the earth. He said, if the salt has lost its flavor, it's good for nothing than to be thrown out and trampled under. You're the light of the world, not a light that's to be put under, you know, a bushel, but to be out there to be a light so that people could see the truth that they would know the way. And so, you know, again, as we close, how are we going to get people to engage this next year? How are we going to get a, a world that's hungry and thirsty to engage in conversation? You know what the best way is? To remember. See, people can argue theology all day long. They can't argue a changed life. So to be able to, tonight, you know, I, I want to just encourage you, whether you're at home and you're watching, you're here, that you could, again, we have these rocks. It's just not hurry out, but to just take some time. I want you to think about a word. Maybe there's one word that you can go, God was so good in this area of my life. You know, maybe it was safety. It was health. Maybe he gave you courage. You know, maybe it was provision. Um, you know, I mean, you think about it. Wh whatever the things are, you know, you find your word. That's your testimony. And, and, and you write that down. And if you find a verse that goes with it, you could write that on there as well. You don't have to write the whole verse. Just write, you know, John 3.16. And then, and then know the story of it. And then here's the thing. This is what I would encourage you. Is I think you all, you all agree with me on this. And I love it when we can all be in agreement. That what this story is telling us is we have a responsibility to the next generation. Do you agree with that? And then you pray. And I pray. And we go in 2021. I'm not saying hurry out here tonight and just, you know, because that, that's just something that we can do. You know, like, okay, everybody take this rock and go give it to somebody. And you go, okay. You know, no, to be thoughtful and to be prayerful about it. Let it sit for a while, you know, on your shelf. Pray about it. Take it with you. And, and I promise you, if, if you will seek God and you will ask him to lead you to somebody, he will lead you to the right person that you can then go, you know what? I was praying about this. You think about this. If somebody came up to you and they went, hey, I've got this rock. And you know what? A couple months ago, you know, our pastor did a, a message on this and I wrote this down and I just began to pray, God, I know there's going to be somebody in my life I'm going to run into that needs to hear this story. You go, I don't know you, <laughs> you don't know me, but I, I want you to know that God knows you and God loves you and he cares about you. And I want to give you this rock. And I don't know, and if it says something to you right now, you can tell me, maybe it'll, it'll take a while, but you know what? Here's my number, da, 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 or, you know, here's my name. You know, maybe I won't ever see you again. I mean, however the Lord, you know, leads you, but to give them that. And to watch what God does with that, because it gives you the opportunity to do what? Is to tell them your story of God's goodness in your life. Just like the children of Israel took these 12 stones as a stone of remembrance to be able to tell the next generation about the goodness of God in their life. He's not telling you to go to Israel and go, hey, tell them about how God brought the children of Israel over. It's not your story. It's a Bible story, and we can tell people that. We just read it tonight but you have a story and I have a story. God's been good to me and he's been good to you. And what we need to do is capture those things and we need to pray about, God, who are those people that you'd lead us to to tell your story? It's not, hey, this is what, you know, you go, no, it's not, it's God has been good to me. It's not, hey, let me tell you about me. No, it's God has been good to me and tell them that story. Point them, just like those stones on the shore, like, pointed to those that were down at the bottom of the river. 
is they always point to the faithfulness of God. They go, man, because they go, how did you guys hold your breath that long and stack those rocks down there? And they go, it wasn't wet. It wasn't wet. Nope. Beavers upstream, you're not going to believe it, built a dam. And you go, no, that's not the story. Don't leave with that. You go, no, God stopped the rivers from flowing. And they crossed over on dry land. Can you imagine the kids hearing that story? And we read it today. We're, Why? Because it's not our story. You have a story. I have a story. Discover it. And maybe tonight, like I said, just pray before you go. One word that God would go, this is the area of my life where God was good. And you let that become your testimony in 2021. And you watch what God does with that. You have a story to tell. Tell it. Tell it. Tell it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your life. I thank you for these that are here, those that are at home. I pray that, uh, Lord, we would just have a fruitful 2021 as we just set our hearts on you and the things of your kingdom, that, Lord, we would uh, be reminded tonight, uh, Lord, of your goodness in our life. You've been so faithful. Just the fact that we could write a word alive, <laughs> uh, because sadly, so many have died. And yet, Lord, we're still here. And that means we're here because you have a purpose. You have a plan for our life. And may we live life to the fullest. That's what you came. May we not live in fear, Lord. May we live and be a people of faith. And we look forward to what you have in store for us. And uh, Lord, we just want to say thank you for loving us like you do. Thank you for being so faithful, so kind to us, Lord. So good. You are so good all the time. We bless you tonight as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.